0: Lonely song, the song's for you. I want to talk to you this morning about the second second. Now, as you probably know, or maybe you don't, this is a little refresher course for those of you who have forgotten. Second is an ordinal number, constituting the number two in a sequence. And it is coming after the first in time or order. So that's what second is. Now, the second second is a second is one-sixtieth, of a minute of time, which as the SI, and the SI is the International System of Units, its base unit of time, is defined in terms of the natural, get this now, you're going to want to pay attention to this, is defined in terms of the natural periodicity of the radiation of a cesium-133 atom. Before 1967, a second was based on the apparent motion of the sun around the earth. The solar day was divided into 24 hours, each containing 60 minutes of 60 seconds each. So the second was 186,400th of the mean solar day. So there were 86,400 seconds in the solar day. That was until 1967. The 19th and the 20th century astronomical observations revealed this average time of the apparent motion of the sun around the earth was getting longer, it was actually lengthening. The sun-earth motion is no longer considered a suitable basis for definition. In other words, you can't rely on it for seconds to always be the same length. As time goes on, seconds are getting longer. Now, atomic clocks made it possible to define a second based on fundamental properties of nature. Since 1967, a second has been defined to be the duration of 9,192,631,770 periods of the radiation corresponding to the transition between two hyperfine levels of the ground state of the cesium-133 atom. Now, how's that for a mouthful? And who cares? But people do care because it's a science. This work speaks of a second force. We've all heard about this. But we rarely use it in our calculations when we set a goal. We generally fail to comprehend there are two second forces at work all the time. Now the first second force, not everyone in life knows about, but it's pretty easy to see it. The second second is more difficult, and so naturally, The second second is the one I want to talk about. And it's not just since 1967 that we generally fail to comprehend the second second force. Apparent motion was unreliable, as is the apparent reality of the five senses. I think this is just, when I looked into all this, I thought, wow, this is really cool. You know how everything in nature points to esoteric teachings. Everything points to it. It amazes me when we miss it. Because it's so obvious after you've seen it. You know how you get those pictures, those illusion pictures that people show you, and they go, can you see this or that, in this face and that? And you're no. And then they say, well, close one eye or stand on your head or turn it upside down or turn yourself inside out, whatever. There's some trick, and then all of a sudden you see it, and then you can't not see it. Yeah. Well, it's like that. Once you start to see these esoteric ideas in everything, it's hard not to see them. And so when other people don't see them, you go, yeah, right there. Can not you see that? And they go, no, show me. And you have to try and figure out some way, some trick to show them, to get them to suspend what they already know. see, that's really what it is. You must suspend what you already see so that you can see in a new way. You must stop thinking the way you think in order to think in a new way. Or, as the Zen monk said, you've got to empty the cup before you can put anything else in it. You're a full cup. And so, in so many ways, we are full cups. But we filled our cups through the five senses, not through these internal senses. And because we filled our cups through the five senses, they're full of the things that the five senses give. And the things that the five senses give are not things that we want to drink out of that cup. They will poison us. Not all the time, but enough so that we need to be really very, very cautious. Just like if we were going somewhere and we're drinking water, you wouldn't drink water out of a puddle, just because you were thirsty, and if you did, you'd want to make sure you filtered it first, and you'd want to make sure that somehow you had put something in it to cleanse it, to purify it. And so we're asked to do much the same thing in this work. It is said, we're second force blind. If this is true, we're doubly blind. We're second force blind and second second force blind. I have a story that illustrates our second blindness. It's in Genesis. Now, if you don't know the story, I'll try and give you a brief idea about what it is. You remember there were two brothers, Jacob and Esau, born to Isaac. Esau was the oldest, Jacob was the youngest. Esau represents the outer man, the natural man. He was a hunter. He was very big and brawny and hairy. had bows and arrows, and he'd go out and hunt food for his father, and his father liked his game, his venison, and so on and so forth. And Jacob was a smooth man, a fine man. He wasn't very hairy, he was very fine. And he dwelled in tents, and he hung out with his mother around the camp, around the, the tents. But his brother was always out in the field hunting, and he was a man's man. And Jacob represents the inner man, where Esau represents the outer man in esoteric teachings. This is what this means. So Esau was the firstborn, because the firstborn for us is the outer man. What we become aware of, the first man, is the first education in our first life, the life of the five senses out there in the field of the world. But Jacob dwells in tents, so he's an inner man, you see. And so we have this Jacob in us, But the problem is, Jacob is a sneaky guy. He's not just a nice guy. Now, Esau is a brute. There's no question about it. He's a brute. So he comes in one day from hunting, and he's famished. And his brother is making this big pot of lentil stew. And his brother says, Give me some of your lentil stew. I'm famished. I'm about to die of hunger. Of course, he wasn't. But you know how the natural man is. If it doesn't get what it wants, I'm going to die. It's just so dramatic. Of course, this is us. We're talking about us. We're talking about our bodies and our minds and us. That's what we're talking about. So don't just look at it like Esau. Look at it like this is us. This is my natural man. This is the way I run my life. I'm famished. I'm going to die. And Jacob's very clever. So he says, well, sell me your birthright and I'll feed you. He said, fine, what's a birthright to me? It doesn't matter anything to me. I'm going to die here. What good will it do me? So he goes, okay, and he feeds him. And so Jacob got his birthright. Well, he was annoyed by that, but he let it go because he despised his birthright. It really didn't make that much difference to him because he was a natural man. All he cared about was the things of the five senses. He wasn't looking forward like that. So the next thing that happened is Isaac's about to die. So he sends Esau out to the field, go hunt. Get me some venison. I want you to make me a meal that I love so much from your game so that I can bless you before I die. Esau says, okay. And he goes, well, Jacob's mother heard this. And she says to Jacob, look, go and get a goat from the flock and prepare it. And I'll make a stew like your father likes. And you're going to take it to him and he's going to bless you. You're going to get Esau's blessing. So Jacob goes, oh, no way, mom. He'll know because I'm a smooth man and my brother's a hairy man. And she said, don't worry about it. So she said, I'll take care of everything. You just do what I say. So he goes. Now, of course, you might wonder who she is in this story. Well, it's probably something emotional, would you think? And the father, obviously, is something intellectual, the head, but the head, the intellect ruling over the emotions. That's how it should be. The intellect should be ruling over the emotions. But notice when the emotions start undermining the intellect, that things go bad. So... He goes and he does everything that he's told to do. And she says, all right, she prepares this, So she says, take this into your father. He says, Mom, he's going to know. So she takes some of the goat skin, puts it on his hands and on his neck and gets clothes that are his brother's clothes and puts those clothes on him. And so he goes in and he says, Father, rise and eat. I brought the game. That then he said, well, how did you get it so soon, my son? He said, well, the Lord your God, he delivered this animal into my hand. And he said, okay. He said, come close so that I can smell you. Because he was old and he couldn't see. He was blind. So he came closer and he smells the clothes. And he says, oh, these are the voice of the voice of Jacob, my younger son. But the smell is the smell of... You know. So he eats the venison and he touches his hands and his neck and he feels the hair from the goat. And then he blesses him, and he gives him the first blessing. Well, then Jacob leaves. And so then, not long after, Esau comes in, and he says, Father, rise. And he says, Who are you? And he says, You're firstborn, Esau. And he said, Well, who is that who just came in here and got that blessing? Well, Esau was like, this is the First he stole my birthright. Now he steals my blessing. Don't you have anything left for me? And he said, well, I've already made him head over you, and I've given him this, and I've given him that, and all these things that he did in this blessing, which was his great blessing. And Esau's crying this time. Well, don't you have anything for me? And he said, well, yeah. And he said, even though you're going to serve him, you'll throw off his yoke one day, and this will happen, and you'll be a great nation also, and la-da-da-da-da. So Esau goes out, and he's upset. And as a natural man always does, he doesn't forgive. He wants vengeance. And he starts to plot. It's not long and my father will die. When my father dies, I'm going to kill him. So his mother hears the rumor and she says, Look, get out of town. You go and stay with my brother in Haran, my brother Laban. So that's the story. That's the background in the story. And I did that without telling you the whole story. I'm pretty proud of myself, actually. So Jacob goes and he spends 21 years with Laban, seven years to serve for his daughter and then Laban tricked him and he gave him the older daughter instead of the younger daughter, the one that he didn't want. So he served seven years and he gets the younger daughter, but it was dark in the tent and he didn't know. So he consummates that marriage and then he gets up in the morning and he sees who it is and he goes to Laban and he says, what have you done to me? The same kind of thing that he did to Esau. He says, just serve me seven more years and you can have your, the wife now, you can have her now and then just serve me seven years. So he serves seven more years for her. So then he serves seven more years for flocks to get something to support his family. So 21 years with Laban, it was tricking him, changing things all the time. Pretty much like Jacob did to Esau. If you think karma isn't alive and well, it was then and it is now. Anyway, the story goes on that he finally decides he's gonna leave. So he takes off and he heads toward home. But he understands that his brother is not happy with him. You know, I mean, he knows how he left. And so he sends messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. So you can see Jacob's approach is totally different now. He's humbled. He's been humbled by 21 years of service with Laban. The messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore he is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him, and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. For he said, If Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. Jacob said, Jacob said, Oh, God of my father Abraham. This is always when we pray, isn't it? It's like, oh, we're in trouble now. Oh, God, get me out of this one. Oh, God of my father Abraham, oh, Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives. It's your fault. You're the one that told me to go back. And I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with My staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. So he spent the night there, selected from what he had with him, a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on before me and put a space between droves. He commanded the one in front, saying, When my brother Esau meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong? And where are you going? To whom do these animals in front of you belong? Then you say, These belong to your servant Jacob. It is a present sent to my lord Esau. And behold, he also is behind us. Then he commanded also the second and the third. And all those who followed the drove, saying... After this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, Behold, your servant Jacob also is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Then afterward I will see his face, perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on before him, while he himself spent the night in the camp. Now he arose the same night, and took his two wives, and his two maids, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and he sent across whatever he had. So you see, he's still working his game. He still hasn't got it. He sees second force, Esau. Oh, he's clear on it now. Now he's got a big problem. His brother wants to kill him, and he's coming with 400 men. So he's worried now. Then Jacob was left alone. And this is when it happens, isn't it? Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men, and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So that's the story. It's a great story, (laughs) just a great story. But it's so much greater when you understand what it means to you internally, what it's pointing at internally, esoterically, what it's trying to say. Jacob recognized and calculated for his external second force, who was represented by Esau, his older brother. Only after long, hard years of training with Laban, training and becoming second force aware because Laban was sharp. Jacob was clever, but Laban beat him almost every time. And if it hadn't been for wisdom that came from above, Jacob would have never gotten loose of Laban. Laban always got the upper hand on him. It was only when he was alone that he was able to strive with the second second, internal second force. Now, that's what this represents. This man, and the man wrestled with him until daybreak. If you persist, you always wrestle until daybreak. If you give up before daybreak, you get nothing. Well, what is daybreak? Well, it's when the light of consciousness dawns, is when daybreak is, obviously. When consciousness dawns on you, what it is you're struggling with internally, when you start to see this is an internal struggle, not an external struggle, that's when the light of consciousness dawns. That's when you're blessed. That's when something happens. But until then, nothing happens. If you quit too soon, you get nothing. First, we come to understand everything in life requires effort. This is what happened with Jacob. He started to understand everything in life requires effort. When he got his brother's birthright, he did it through trickery. When he got his brother's blessing, he did it through trickery. When he went to Laban and worked for Rachel, he got Leah, who was the one he didn't love, the older one. And he said, why have you done this to me? He said, well, in our country, it's the custom that the older should marry first. So that's why we do this. We didn't really have any choice. We had to do this. And so what could he say? He's living at this guy's house. He's got no place to go. His brother wants to kill him. He's just spent seven years working for the woman that he loves, and he's got some other woman that he doesn't want. And he says, well, look, just serve me seven more years and just finish your seven days wedding, marriage, with this one, and then you can have the other one. He says, okay. And so he does that. Notice it's always seven. Seven days, seven years. Notice that. Whenever you see that in esoteric writings, they're trying to tell you something. It's the law of seven. And they're trying to tell you something. When you see three, they're trying to tell you something. Three periods of seven years. Three periods of seven years. The law of three, the law of seven. But that's not what we're talking about now. What we're talking about now is the second second. All these numbers, and I'm not good at math, so go figure. So Jacob finds out about second force. He finds out about it from Laban. He sees that everything that he tries to do, there's something that stops him. Whereas before, everything went easy when he used trickery. Once your brother's birthright, just give him some stew. You know, just wait for the right moment. Give him some stew. You want his blessing? Just go steal it. You know, just a little trickery. And so he had no awareness of second force. His mother sends him off, and he goes, and everything's fine. He goes right into his uncle's house, and everything's just fine. He meets the girl that he wants, and he's oh, this is great. She served seven years for, him and it seemed like a day. He was so in love, it seemed like nothing at all. And then he gets the other one, and it's like oh, this is second force. So he starts to become aware of second force. So he becomes second force aware rather than second force blind. But remember, this is only the first second force. Second force in life is the difficulty involved with doing anything. Jacob met second force cleverly, but it was increasingly expensive for him. Seven years here, seven years there, another seven years, 21 years. In Genesis twenty-eight ten, that's the one where I told you about Esau selling his birthright and also the other one. That, you can find that story in Genesis 28. you find this one, in, the one I've read to you here in Genesis 32. you find the other one in Genesis 28 where you find out just what a sneak Jacob really was. And Jacob means supplanter or heel catcher. So it's someone who, through trickery, catches your heel and supplants you, takes your place. Alright, so that was stealing the birthright and his father's blessing for the firstborn. This also illustrates the principle of the second, which is the third second. The second replaces the first, and the first tries to kill the second. So here's how it goes. Jacob is second, so he's the third second in this story. So we have the first second, which is second force. We have the second second, which is internal second force. So you have external second force, which is the first second internal second force, which is the second second, and Jacob is the third second in this story. And he replaces the first. He supplants the first. Because in esoteric teachings, what they're constantly trying to tell us is, look, who you are, this first man that you are, is not who you really are. That's not your true destiny. That must be replaced, supplanted, by this second man. And this second man has to be trained The first man has to be subdued, has to be made a servant, but the second man has to be trained. He's not fit to rule as he is. And people think, oh, if I just let my essential self, my essence, rule, then everything will be fine. No. Your essence is the essence of a five or six or seven year old child. Do you want to be ruled by a five or six or seven year old child? I hope not. If you do, you don't know any. That's the only thing I can figure on that is If you wish to be ruled by a 5 or 6 or 7 year old, you don't know a 5 or 6 or 7 year old. And that's why you think that. So the second in place is the first. The first tries to kill the second. This drama is played out throughout history repeatedly. It's always the lower trying to pull the higher down. Always the lower, the outer, does not understand the inner, so it tries to pull it down to itself and understand it. But in pulling it down, it's like making an omelet. You break the eggs. You don't have whole eggs anymore. So once you pull it down, you spoiled it. And this is what we constantly are doing, is pulling down what is above us. Jacob represents that in us that must realize you can't be different unless you begin to change internally your level of being. The 21 years that he served with Laban doesn't matter. Oh yeah, he got a bunch of stuff. But he was not changed internally until he met this man and wrestled with him until daybreak. Then he was changed internally. And how do we know that? It says right here, when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with the man. Well, Jacob, who then gets a new name, and a new name means a new nature in esoteric teachings. His name isn't Jacob anymore. He's no longer the supplanter, the heel catcher. He's no longer the sneak. He's no longer the trickster. Now he is crippled. Now when he walks, he doesn't walk the earth so proudly. Now when he walks, he doesn't strut. Now he walks with a staff and a limp. Now he thinks about every step that he takes. Now he walks from a different place inside of himself, not from the five senses proudly, but from an internal place of humility that only comes through self-observation, that only comes through realizing what you're here for and what you're really about, what the purpose of this life is. It's not getting wives. It's not getting flocks. It's not getting houses. It's not getting land. It's not your purpose. Oh, you can do all that stuff, and it'll cost you, and it'll cost you in many ways. One of the ways is it'll cost you in first, second force, external second force. You will have to meet it. You will have to meet it regularly because nothing in this life is easy. And if it is easy, then you get what you pay for. As long as we think we are our bodies, this is a problem only overcome through great difficulty. having to realize that we can't be different unless we begin to change internally our level of being. We think we're a body. We think all we have to do is just work seven years and get this, just work seven years and get that. But you find that it doesn't work out that way, or that's all you got. We keep thinking we can gain being by working harder against external second force. We spend a lot of our lives doing this. A lot of our lives working against external second force. And we make progress, but then you come to a time where you realize what you've got. And you think, well, I'm empty inside, but I have all this outside. We imagine by moving to a new place, we'll leave second force behind like Jacob did. You think, well, I'll just move to Haran. And it'll leave Esau behind. We think changing partners. I'll just get Rachel and you know, and then I'll be happy. But I got Leah, but I'm not happy. But I'll get Rachel and then I'll be happy. So we think the changing partners, changing jobs, changing houses, cars. Or look at the world, changing presidents. Well, we get a new president, and then everything's gonna be fine. Well the president we have was the one who was gonna save us all. Remember that? The president we have now was the one he was the savior of the country. And now look at how people talk about him not like he's a savior of the country. It's all his fault now. It goes exactly to what I was talking about with helping. Oh, yes, our savior, and then we crucify him. So we think we'll change presidents and that'll make things different. We imagine that we could be different if those things were different. We imagine that if we worked hard enough. We imagine that we could do anything if we just worked hard enough against second force external second force. People who make outer changes are called in esoteric writings those who perform dead works building a tower whose top will reach to heaven. Remember that one, the Tower of Babel? And it didn't work because they took bricks for stone and slime for mortar, or tar pitch for mortar. In other words, they took the five senses, they tried to work against external second force, and they thought to get something internal. They thought to get to the kingdom of heaven, that is, to the second second force, An increasing level of consciousness, a raised level of being, through doing these outer things. External second force doesn't go away if you have enough money. In fact, if you get enough money, it then becomes your new second force. People who win the lottery, they find their new problem is money. Now they've got all this money, and they've got to deal with all of the things that come up because of that. Whereas they thought before, well, gee, if I just had enough money, then I could have this, then I could have that, then I'd be able to do this, then I'd be able to do that. We all think, well, if I could just go into a monastery, then I could raise my level of being. Or if I could just do this, then I could raise my If I just had enough of this, then I could raise my level of being. No, that's, none of that is true. All of that is lies. But it's lies that we believe because we believe that we're a body and we see second force externally. The most powerful second force is the one that meets you when you begin to do this work internally. This outer second force is nothing compared to this internal second force, the second second. We begin observing ourselves and trying not to identify, trying not to be negative. And here we find the second second force quite formidable. What's it like when you try not to identify? You can't observe yourself, that's one thing you find out. You can't remember yourself. You can't stop identifying. And how much fun is it to try and stop expressing negative emotions? It's like all the world is your oyster when it comes to negative emotions. It's just like a cornucopia of opportunities to be negative, isn't it? Most people in life remain blind to second force and never even imagine that there's a second second that exists. How could they? Living in imagination, they never make an internal aim that attracts the second second force like a magnet. All you have to do is make some kind of work aim. You want to know what second force is? Make a work aim. It presents itself like Goliath. It presents itself like an ogre. It presents itself like an angry older brother who you cheated, with 400 men coming your way. For them, second force seems only outside themselves, only something that's external. For those who begin to understand esoteric teachings, second force becomes internal and is with us all the time. Becoming aware of the second second is an ongoing process the level of your being will always attract a specific type of second force. In other words, your level of being, it's going to attract a certain kind of second force. Second, second force. For example, if you're kind of an anxious person, you are always anxious about this or about that. Let's say you're anxious about money, paying the bills. You're anxious about that. And let's say you get a lot of money. Now you're going to be anxious about losing the money. Because the second force that you'll attract is anxiety because that is specific to your level of being and until you change your level of being you will not alter the second force that you attract internally and externally poverty consciousness we called it we used to call it back in the old days that is people who are just always poor no matter how much they have they're always poor it's never enough there's Poverty when it comes to health. Poverty when it comes to relationships. Fear, accidents, depression. Are all types of the second second force arising from yourself, from your level of being. There are some people who are always worried about their health. Some people who are all about relationships. Oh, if I could just find the right person. Some people are always struggling with depression. This is because this is the second second arising from their level of being. Whereas someone else doesn't have that problem at all. Not at all. I met a guy... 30 some years ago in Redondo Beach. He was in high school then and he had problems with girlfriends. He never really could get a girlfriend. He was a really good looking guy and an athlete and he he just had everything going for him but for some reason he just couldn't get a girlfriend. They were interested in, you know, how he looked, they were interested in his athletic skills, they were interested in, you know, all he did but when they got to know him they just weren't interested (laughs) in him at all. He just could not keep a girlfriend. And he noticed that I always had women around, part of the job. And so he was like, well, you've never... I didn't see him for probably 33 years. And then I saw him last year. Was it last year the year before when we went up there to L.A.? Mm. I saw him then, and he met Connie and goes, well, geez, you've always been with the most beautiful women. (laughs) You've never had a problem with women. And I thought, oh my God, this guy is still doing the same thing. Thirty years later, and his second second is still there. You know, He's married now, and his wife has cancer and is dying, and he'll be looking for a new one. That's just what he's going to do. It was amazing to me. Anxiety is a sign that you do not realize you can't change your being externally. Morris Nichols said, This is a psychological disease. The curious thing is that if you follow the work and separate from the various things that the work teaches you to separate from, not only will your being attract a quite different inner life, but also your external life will become different. You'll start to meet new people, different kinds of people. Because of the three forces involved with creation, active, passive, and neutralizing forces, everyone will have to meet second force because there are three forces and one, and you have one force that comes up, the active force comes up, you're going to have a second force that opposes it. That has to be. There's no way to get around that. You'll only meet the second second if you go beyond requirements of life and begin your second education. All will meet it in some form or other, externally or internally. But unless you see this, you will always blame someone else. In life, you'll notice that people are always blaming other people. In this work, it should not be so. In this work, you must become aware of the second second in yourself. And you must recognize that you are responsible for what arises in you. You are responsible. It's coming from inside of you. Second force is in the nature of things because it is part of the process of creation and the law of three. It's not an evil God, but the part of God with which you must strive as did Jacob in order to develop. In some translations of the bible that man is an angel so a higher idea or a messenger of god or a messenger of the absolute if you will there is no progress without second force and there is no spiritual psychological growth without second second without the second second you're going nowhere trying to be more conscious is striving with the second second and it has the power to bless us and teach us how to walk in humility but you must become aware of it And you must struggle with it. You must strive with it. You must try. This is our path.